I was eating junk. I had just had two children back to back. I used to not be able to get on the ground. I never, ever daily exercise. Before, if I'd get down, I'd need a chair or something to help me get back up. I was 84 pounds heavier at one time. I was always a big dude, but I couldn't move around. That all changed when they met. Diamond Dallas Page started doing yoga, man. I started doing a, a thing called DDP yoga. It's not your mama's yoga. WCW heavyweight champion, known for his signature move, the Diamond Cutter. Diamond Cutter! Took what he learned recovering from an injury and years in the ring and created DDP Yoga. Working out combined with the eating habits, it was a huge difference. I felt so much better. It's a lot of fun for me because I never used to be able to be active. Now I'm, I'm, I'm on the floor, I'm rolling around, it's, it's pretty cool. More than importantly, I just want to be alive. I'm down about 110 pounds. DDP Yoga can work for anyone. DDP. DDP. Radio. Hello, my fellow DDP Yoga Warriors. What is going on? It is Wednesday night. It is 9 o'clock right here at DDPRadio.com. I had a little bit of a technical snafu uh, right before the show, so we're going to hopefully roll through this as flawless as possible. Or, uh, well, not flawless as possible because that just wouldn't be our style. But we're going to try to get through this uh, best we can. Um, going to be a fun show tonight. Uh, before we get started, I want to thank Robert and Stacy for, uh, for uh, they had the task of filling some rather large shoes last week. We had a little bit of a family emergency. I know how hard it was to kind of replace such excellence on the show. But uh, thank you guys for, for carrying uh, the ball. Um, and, of course, Yeah, we missed you last week, Mike. Oh, thank wait, you. Wait, wait, you were, Mike, you were gone? <laughs> uh, of course, I'm just going to introduce you now. Stacey Morris, hello, uh, the one and only Stacey Morris, StaceyMorris.com. And, of course, uh, my arch nemesis, uh, the uh, devil to my angel on Stacey's shoulder. Uh, it's Robert McLaren. How are you? Well, I'm doing good, man. It, it, it was uh, good to hear that you weren't here last week. <laughs> Thanks. Oh. I appreciate it. Oh. Robert, Robert, one of these days, yeah. man. One of these, first of all, i got to say, because I have a little bit of heat with Robert right now, and he doesn't even know it, because I got, I got a call on my home phone today, and it was from an Orlando phone number. And Robert's the only person I know in Orlando. So I'm like, oh, it's probably Robert calling about the show tonight. So I click on my phone thing, and this guy is there. He starts talking to me about how I've committed tax fraud in their investigating me for all kinds of stuff and I'm kind of digging into this to find out what's going on and it sounded fake to me so so I'm like give me your number and I'll call you right back and so I, I hung up and I called I, I googled the number and apparently it's the big scam out of Orlando um, but the guy has been calling me like six times since then today so it probably if I hadn't picked it up and thought it was Robert it would, it would have all gone away so that's your fault for living in Orlando Robert I guess you would get for that that's your fault for, for for not rejecting the call in the first place. <laughs> I know. Well, they see that's what you would have done. You would have seen my number and just hit the asshole button and like oh, it just clicked me out. Yeah. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> uh, anyways, we'll get down to a little business uh, this week. I appreciate you guys uh, covering for me last week. We had a bit of a family situation going on. Uh, my uncle's uh, really really sick with cancer. We didn't think he was going to last the night last week. Uh, when I was here, I was expecting a phone call, and he's actually pulled through. He's still 
uh, with us today, but uh, we shouldn't expect much longer. But it's something I want to touch upon tonight, too, uh, because it's hard to uh, describe. He's my great uncle. Um, and he, he was he was one of those guys that kind of inspired me to, you know, look forward to growing older if I could do it right. Um, as I was telling Stacy last week, he was in amazing physical shape. He would bike ride into his 80s for miles, 20 miles, 30 miles, just going these long bike rides, would eat really, really healthy, uh, had a really fun and, and active life up until uh, the end, um, which is one of those things that I've always dreaded growing older. And it's one of those situations where if I can live – as full and as vibrant at my old age up to that, I mean, it was kind of worth it. Um, it's one of those things that old age can become a goal, let alone uh, kind of like a slow deterioration. And uh, so I want to thank you guys for covering me for last week. Uh, we weren't sure what was going on, but you're still with us now, but uh, we don't expect it to be much longer. Um, but uh, anyways, um, we have a good topic tonight. We want to get into that uh, in just a few seconds. But first I want to take care of a little business. Uh, and talk about the upcoming workshops. Uh, Robert just handed me a new one that was just added. Uh, I'll go through these in chronological order. Uh, Saturday, August 6th at the DDP Yoga Performance Center uh, in Smyrna, Georgia. Uh, that's the DDP Yoga Ultimate Workshop, the whole day of festivities. Um, I know a lot of people kind of congregate to the Performance Center uh, for those type of things, so you'll meet a lot of regulars in the DDP Yoga uh, world down there, all going down to the DDP Yoga Backyard of Smyrna, Georgia. And of course, um, Saturday, August 13th, uh, in, what is that, Romesville? Romeosville, I think. Oh, Romeosville, Illinois. Um, That is uh, the DPO Inspiration Meets Perspiration Workshop. Uh, That's at Edwards Sports and Events Center. Uh, And of course, uh, DDP is going to Michigan. Yeah. Uh, The Greenfield Elementary Inspiration Meets Perspiration Workshop. Uh, in Beverly Hills, Michigan, and that is September 24, 2016. Uh, for all the information on that, to grab your tickets, reserve your spots, head over to uh, ddpyogaworkshops.com and, uh, of course, always the hub of everything DDP Yoga at ddpyoga.com. Um, let's get started. Uh, Stacy, you brought this topic to our attention tonight, and it's such a good one because it's one of those things that we touch upon so often. Um, but it's also one of those things that you can really get some juice into if you spend a lot of time kind of digging into the psychology of it. And that's the art of self-sabotage and excuses. Um, Working against the general uh, good of yourself um, in spite of yourself. And I want want to introduce the topic and and talk about how we we kind of decided to kind of break into this subject more uh, fully on a whole episode rather than just kind of touch upon on the show. Yeah, well, it all started really when I was I was watching on Sunday, I think, a tribute to Muhammad Ali. And you know, he one he was one of the most everyone knows about the athleticism, but an amazing wordsmith and and poet. And they gave a quote that I had never heard about uh basically it was about making excuses. You know, and uh, I gotta find it. Do you, do you guys happen to have the promo in front of you? Uh, I can uh, find it in just promo. a second because I put it in the promo. Let me get to it. I got it right I here. Know. Do you want to read it, Mike? 
Sure. Um, the quote, impos- impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration, it's a dare. Impossible is potential, impossible is temporary, impossible is nothing. That's great. Yeah, it just really spoke to me um, because I know, you know, from my lifelong battle with the scale and, and with using food as a, as a you know, coping mechanism and an escape, I know how hard it is to overcome things like that. But I also know, um, you know, I know all about excuses because there were so many times, you know, in my life that I, I really did want to change. But I just, quite frankly, as miserable as I was, I didn't really want to dive in and and do some of the hard stuff. And I know that that might be hard for some people to hear, but that's just and, and it's human nature, you know. So I'm not condemning anyone because we've all been there. That's the thing. This is just you know a very human thing to kind of shirk away from not just the work and and the sacrifice, but what Ali touched upon was kind of shying away from our own greatness and our own power, you know, which for some people is not very comfortable. And, you know, there's like this implied, what's going to happen if I do make it, if I, if I do achieve my dream, you know, am I going to be able to handle it? Um, am I going to be able to live up to, you know, the expectations? There are all kinds of things that run through people's minds. And I get questions all the time, you know, that are, I don't even think people when they write to me are really intending to, to throw out excuses to me. But I can see, you know, I can see that it's somebody who's not quite ready, you know, to make the move or they're scared or they don't want to, give up their crutch. So the most common question I get is, uh, I, you know, I would love to lose weight, but what about loose skin? You know, I, I can't do this if, if I'm going to have loose skin. It's almost like they're asking me, you know, to give them a pass in a way. Like, <clears throat> yeah, of mm-hmm. course, if you have 100 pounds or more to lose, especially if you're over 30, uh, you're probably going to have some loose skin. You're, you're not going to look like you know, um, an Olympic swimmer. I mean, that's just reality. But, um, you know, it was when I, when I first got into DDP yoga and I was at a point where I was ready after 20 years of struggle, I was ready. I, I didn't even, not once did I think about loose skin because I really wanted it and I was ready to dive in. If you're at a place where you're not ready, it's okay, but you have to, it's so essential to be honest with yourself, you know, and then start to really look at why you might not be ready, you know. Um, for some women, they're, they're kind of afraid of male attention. They might unconsciously be afraid of maybe my friends will be jealous of me, you know, if I end up looking too good. Um, there are all kinds of reasons, but if, if you're, you know, asking questions like, 
well, I'd like to lose weight, but loose skin might as well not even start. Or I want to eat clean, but it's too expensive, so why bother? You know, there's something behind that. There's something behind it because um, if you're if if you're if there's a separation between you, and better health, you and and feeling better, it, it means that there's like you know there's work to do. There, there are issues to be a little bit dissected, and it's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, it's actually mm-hmm. very free. It's very freeing, you know. But so the the Ali quote just totally spoke to me because it reminded me of myself, you know, like maybe 15, 20 years ago. That's that's so amazing too, because you know, a lot of times, and, and I'm not saying you know, good advice is good advice, and following your dreams and you can do anything, nothing is impossible, and good is great advice. But a lot of the times that advice is being shoved from somebody who's living on the biggest house, on the biggest hill, on the biggest side of town. Like, they've got everything and they've got all the resources available. So when they tell that, no matter how good the advice is, sometimes someone who's living in the ditch, you know, finds it hard to relate to someone who, who gives that kind of advice. And when that comes from Muhammad Ali, when you actually think about the nothing is impossible on paper, in the 1960s, a black kid from Louisville, Kentucky, that was impossible for him. That was, on paper, yeah. that was impossible. And for him to come out there and become not only the best athlete in the world, but probably the greatest athlete of all time, that black kid in the 1960s from Louisville, Kentucky, to be the biggest, man, the biggest star on the planet is something that most people would consider impossible. So when yeah, you, you add in the fact... Down, yeah, yeah oh, I was going to say, right. you add in the... You add in the fact that for early in his career, I mean, he, I mean, he's one of the most beloved sports figures of all time, and he was at one time the most uh, uh, recognizable man on the planet. But there was a time when he was he was really, really hated, could be for standing up for his beliefs and uh, doing what he felt was right. Uh, he, and he battled a lot of not only uh, boxing opponents but a lot of adversity as well. Oh, for sure. Um, his, I mean, a lot of the opinions which he had, which which we find empowering nowadays, were extreme when he was saying them. And and the respect that he's getting now, you know, it wasn't felt the same way, you know, back in the day. Um, there was a lot of anger uh, towards his stance on a lot of things. And, you know, he changed the way, you know, he, he, I mean, people always say it, you know, they, it's kind of been a cliche thing. His, his greatest fights were outside of the ring and stuff like that. But, you know, like we said, like, who would, you know, the, the great things that he changed, not just in sports, but uh, in, in human nature and humanity and politics and all of this stuff. I mean, that's not something that a guy, like, living in the South back in 1960, that's not something that's on paper for them. Like, that's, you know, that's a, a, an anomaly. So when he says something like that, when he puts over how nothing's impossible, it's kind of easier to, to relate to somebody than uh, some billionaire who was who got a billion dollar inheritance telling you you can do anything um, after they were handed a, you know a billion dollar check you know that's kind of hard to relate to but someone like Muhammad Ali who who grew up in probably far worse conditions than I've even ever witnessed in my life um, that's mm-hmm. something that you can't deny you can't lie to yourself and when Stacy talked about um, you know the people finding excuses for themselves not to succeed. That's really kind of weird because just the other day I was talking to a buddy of mine um, who I used to wrestle uh, with back here up in New England, and it was in the early 2000s, and he was, he was good. He was really good, and he, he kind of became like a little star regionally. 
Um, he got uh, he sent his tapes to TNA Wrestling right when they first opened up, and they enjoyed him. They really liked him and wanted to bring him on board. They said, send us some more tapes, and we'll, we'll get back to you. So they sent him some more tapes. He sent them some more tapes. Then they called him and said, come in for a tryout. We want you to come in for a tryout. We like you. We think we're going to hire you. Never called. He never called them back. Hmm. And it was, it, wow. it was something that he wanted his whole life. He wanted this so badly his whole life that in his mind, it was easier to rationalize having the dream always there. Despite being unattainable, at least he still has that dream than to attempt it and then fail at it and then that dream being gone. It was easier for him to psychologically wrap his head around, the dream is always out there, but I'll never get it, than actually attempting to try mm-hmm. it and then never getting it. And that was kind of weird. He, he was one of his biggest regrets in life, but sometimes the, 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 the act of not pursuing a dream sometimes is more... Uh, easier to wrap around it than finding yourself false. Yeah, I mean, well, fear of failure is a very real thing, and you have to kind of you have to kind of flip the script on it. Um, set, you know, instead of uh, uh, being afraid of failure, go for failure. Because uh, there's an old there's an old quote that said, if you're not if you if you're not fa- uh, how do how did they put it? If you're achieving all your all your goals, you're not setting them high enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Ooh, it's good to have sh- yeah. If you if you, it's good to have short attainable goals, but <clears throat> at the same time, you know how make multiple goals goals like you know you you're an athlete, um, you want to you know uh, you're a, a high jumper, and you know you don't your one and only goal isn't to get to the Olympics. Your, your, your goal is to get better at what you're doing, to do regionals, to, you know, to go up the ladder, you know, your, your, your super goal is to win the Olympics. And as you're going for that, it's okay if you fail. I mean, cause that's, you know, you said that you set your high goals so high that it's almost impossible. And so failure is not an, is not a problem. I, I failed my goal. I mean, I think it's important to be able to evolve your goal. My goal from when I was a little kid was to be the WWF champion. That's what I wanted that I was shot for my whole life. And I attempted it, and I failed. But in the process, my goals evolved, and I found other passions that I enjoyed. And then I kind of made goals out of those passions that stemmed from my maybe not making it as where I wanted to be. So, I mean, people, there's this, there's this thing that's thrown around in sports. Oh, it was my childhood dream. And it's great to have a childhood dream, but sometimes a childhood dream, you know, you can evolve that dream. You don't have to set your dream at seven years old and then shoot for it your whole life. You can realize that maybe this Mm -hmm. dream is not where I'm meant to be taken, and maybe I can take it to another spot and find other dreams within the failure of that main dream. Like, you've got to be able to evolve your goals as well. Yeah, because failure yeah. Is a very, has a very negative connotation. But it, it, it mm-hmm. failure is is you're you're teaching you're basically you're teaching yourself how to win because every failure that you'll ever have, you're going to learn something from it, and you're going to be able to apply that to the next step. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of uh, most of us have those childhood dreams um, that don't come to fruition. But that doesn't mean we've screwed up. It means yeah, we're probably evolving, and we, we don't always know ourselves fully when we're young, you know, but we reach for something that we're passionate about. Like in your case, Mike, it was wrestling, and it propelled you. So it really served a, a purpose. 
yeah, I mean, that's perfect. You know, growing up, I studied all the great Mike men, the Roddy Pipers, the uh, the the Lou Albano's, the Bobby Heatons, and I, I heard them speak, and I heard their eloquence, and that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an over-the-top character in wrestling, and when I realized after several injuries that that probably wasn't going to be the route I went down, those skills that I kind of honed as a youngster to speak and the, the, the verbal, you know, uh, back and forth, the volley between people and be able to communicate on that level and use that kind of vocabulary, you know, made me, you know, break into the radio business through my goal that I initially set for wrestling. And that became a, a, a you know, a huge, huge deal for me to get into radio and comedy and stuff. But honestly, if I didn't set my sights on that original wrestling goal, I probably wouldn't have learned how to talk like those great managers. I probably wouldn't have learned how to, you know, uh, eloquently like put out your thoughts uh, to a to an audience like that. And it's kind of one of those mm-hmm. things that you set yourself in the goal, and on that path of the goal, you develop skills that will give you so many other uh, opportunities in life to to, get to uh, pursue other goals. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that could be at play here. Uh, alluding back to Ali's quote is, you know, sometimes you're more comfortable um, to stay where where you are. You know, stay in the world that you know. And sometimes that world is, well, often it's shaped by the opinions of others, uh, particularly when we're young, you know, um, parents, caregivers, teachers, um, school bullies. Uh, so, we might be kind of locked in lockdown without knowing it into this, this, you know, role, this definition. And to break out of that, it's really not, you know, it's not as hard. We, we talk ourselves into it's hard or we're going to piss people off, you know, who've defined us. But a lot of times it is a, a hesitation to break out of the role we've been put in. You know, I was put in a role from a, from a young age. You know, I was told I was fat before I was even actually fat. You know, um, <laughs> really, I was just bigger and taller than than the other kids. And um, they took that difference and they magnified it and exaggerated it. And eventually, you know, the subconscious is a very powerful mechanism, and I became the names. Um, so it, it's, it can be a, a task, and it doesn't happen quickly or sometimes even easily, but if you work at it, you can retrain your brain. You can really, you know, ask yourself. You've got to really, you're, you're the one in charge. You know, do you want to stay in this role? Is it serving you? Are you happy in this role? Uh, if not, change, flip it. Change the program. You know, you have the right to do that. We we are the ultimate ones who define ourselves, you know. When we're young and impressionable, okay, you know, people get a pass, you know, that they can boss us around because we're kids and we don't, have, we don't have the power. But, you know, we're adults now, and we can redefine who we are, and, and that will in turn, once we start to redefine it, um, even before I lost the weight, I redefined who I was. I, I decided I was not going to be the person to take shit from others. You know, I wasn't going to be the person to be insulted or ridiculed. Even when I was, at, you know, in the 300-pound range, I just decided I wasn't taking it anymore. And once I really embodied that and, and believed it and, and I, I started confronting people, 
who gave me a hard time, guess what? I started putting out the signal. Somehow, it's it's, it's invisible. You know, it's it's hard to it's it's energy, but eventually, people picked up on it, and nobody gave me a hard time anymore because of the way I decided I was defining myself. That's how powerful it is when we really, um, really embrace it and believe it and start to live by it. Yeah, perception is reality. It's a huge part of of our of our universe. Mm-hmm. That, that can be a really hard to, I know, uh, Stacey, you know, you were overweight a big part of your life. I know I am. I know many people on this, on this journey have been their whole lives. And sometimes in the process, being overweight or, or, or being, you know, an outsider or something, you learn ways to cope and make friends and you kind of lose yourself, your true self, who you are along the way. And my whole deal was, you know, as a big guy, I know that all the other fat guys were sitting at that table away from all the cool kids, so I need to do everything I could in my power to comp- overcompensate for the fact that I'm overweight and get people to like me other ways, uh, which is where the humor and stuff comes in. And you, you try to be a ham, and you, and you try to point out how fat you are before anyone else is because you kind of take that mm-hmm. power away from them. And you kind of lose who you are in that process, and you kind of change your course. Uh, for me, I became, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not treating my own or anything, but I became sex successful because I was a fat guy. I did the whole fat guy shtick, the comedy shtick, the radio shtick. My name was Tommy Boy because I did a freaking killer Chris Farley impression, and I wore the Matt mm. Foley outfit, and I did the Chippendales outfit. Started doing tours and started doing comedy and opening up for bands, doing the whole Matt Foley thing, and people loved me. And people liked mm. the, the funny fat guy on stage falling down, and I did really mm-hmm. well with it. And it got to a point where I did a whole, I started an album called Appetite for Consumption, uh, which was recorded like a bit, and it was all pretty much fat jokes. And I got a guy who, who went and financed it from a management company, financed it, put, put some money into it, a lot of money into it. And I was about three-quarters of the way done with that record that, that was being recorded in like a legit studio and stuff. And I was really excited about it. And my buddy Timmy, who was working for uh, the radio station that I was the music director for, he, he got me on Weight Watchers. Him and I joined Weight Watchers back in 2006, I think it was, and we lost a lot of weight. I lost 110 pounds. The guy dropped the funding. He took the record out. He said, well, there's no money mm-hmm. in selling a skinny fat guy. So I lost my entire like, whole like, thing that I've been working for for months because I changed my identity. And I was so broken up about that because I was wondering, I'm like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm skinny, but like, uh, I'm losing out my goals and stuff. But then I realized, I'm like, anybody who's trying to benefit off me being unhealthy and unhappy is probably not someone that you want in your life anyway. So it's kind of hard to redefine yourself like that, you know, to redefine mm-hmm. yourself with friends and coworkers and families. But when you think about it, yeah, sure, I could probably make them some money as a fat guy, but what am I going to enjoy mm-hmm. that money when I'm dead? Like, how am I going to enjoy that money six feet underground? Like, what, can, what success am I going to enjoy when I'm put in the hospital room getting diabetes and uh, you know, kidney treatments and liver treatments, and I mean, it's not worth mm-hmm. it. Anyone who's trying to, you know, push you to be unhealthy and unhappy isn't in your best interest to begin with. Yeah. No, no. And, uh, you know, Mike, that's a great point. I mean, it, it worked for you for a while, but then something inside you said, no, this isn't working, you know, and and you you took back the definition and, and revamped it. And that had to feel very empowering, I'll bet. Yeah. I mean, it, it really did. And 
the fact that I was kind of losing gigs over that and kind of losing work over that kind of lit a fire under me in a different way. Like, I'm going to stick it up all their asses because I felt really used and really kind of discarded after that. And there was a lot mm-hmm. of mixed emotions. And that's when I kind of started to turn my, my world around and try to uh, re-kind of uh, re-organize uh, my, my life and my career to be more of an outspoken person when it comes to, you know, you know, positive things instead of just fat jokes. And it kind of evolved my whole persona. And some of my friends maybe probably didn't like the new mic. Some of them did. You know, you lose people around the way. But I was able to be kind of truer to myself in the process instead of doing the fat guy fall down routine uh, and making people laugh. And uh, it kind of lit a fire under my ass. It was like, well, I'm going to show you yeah. I'm worth oh, more than just the fat guy falling. And for sure, when you redefine yourself, which you know includes usually setting boundaries and not taking as much crap and all that, uh, all the people who ha- have been in your life for a while, n- not everyone's going to be sticking around. You know, um, mm-hmm. you've really shaken things up in a big way, and, and some people are not comfortable with it. And you know, for me, like that, I was a people pleaser. And it was just yes, yes, yes to everything before I even inquired, you know, to myself, do I want to say yes? You know, it was just knee-jerk. And once I, yeah. I worked on that and, and learned to, to set some boundaries and say, no, I, I had I had people, uh, you know, drop away. But, and it was a little sad to me, but not really because I, I needed to be, I needed to be, you know, an honest version of myself. Um, not the one that everybody else wanted me to be. So it was worth more to to be true to myself and have fewer people in my life um, than tap dancing to please everybody and have friends that, you know, weren't necessarily, um, you know, didn't have integrity with their motives for being my friend. So, you know, and, and it's not easy. It's not easy to lose people, but it's harder I mean, from, from my perspective, it's harder, you know, to not be true to yourself and, and to be dishonest. It just takes a toll. That That's what it is. It, it, it really took a toll on me emotionally. Well, you've got to look at big... why you're, you got to look at why you're a people person or a people pleasing kind of person in the first place. And a lot of people do it just because they want to be liked. And mm-hmm. so that goes back to your, uh, uh, how you feel about yourself in the first place. So if you understand why you're doing it in the first place, you're probably not going to want to keep doing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, if you really sit down and, you know, just spend a little time um, examining it, uh, you, you you come to that exact conclusion, Robert. It's like, I, I don't want to, I just don't want to keep doing it because it doesn't, you know, if if that's what needs to happen in order to be liked, then there's something wrong with the picture, you yeah. know? That should friendship shouldn't be bartering and and you know leveraging. That that's not what a true friendship is. You know, so and the, let the let the non-true friends go. It's it's really not that big a tragedy. Yeah, uh, I mean that's a big misconception and a, and a very little talked about aspect of making a change of this magnitude uh, as, as a lifelong big fat man and safety you've had your weight issues as has so many other people on this program that we've spent 30 or something years of my life 
uh, compensating and, and working my life around being a fat guy. And there's a lot of uh, collateral psychological issues that kind of go along with weight loss that you don't expect, uh, which is, you know, you know, there's a lot of things on your mind and a lot of changes that, that come and go and, and people, you don't know how to react. And, you know, the, the way you'd react before is not something you feel comfortable reacting now because you feel like a different person and there's different, you know, uh, it's just a whole different dynamic and it's a, it's part of you that you need to get used to. And it's, it's, it's awkward and it's foreign to you. I mean, when I lost the weight for the first time back in 2007, I didn't know how to live as a skinny person. I didn't know how to act as a skinny person. I, it was a whole different learning curve. My whole life, I've been living my life around the uh, limitations of being a 330-pound guy. Yeah, and how how did you? I mean, how did you ease into that? How did you make that your new normal? It was it was different because I lost the weight quick. The first time I was younger back in the day, so I mean I ended up gaining it back because I did it the wrong way, the real wrong way. I was relying mm-hmm. on a lot of frozen dinners and like those you know gimmick meals that they sell you. Um, so I did that, but I, I kept it off for for almost a couple of years before I put uh, almost all of it back on, and then I hooked up with DDP Yoga shortly after I put it back on, uh, and then uh, but you know it really is an adjustment. I mean even simple things like. I would be, you know, we talked about this in the show before. When I went to a restaurant, I would, you know, I would be the guy who would be binge eating at 2 o'clock in the morning in his underwear in the dark by himself. But when I went out to a restaurant or I went to a party, I would sit there and munch on a carrot stick because I, as the fat guy who, who sold himself as a fat guy and put himself over as a fat guy, I was so concerned about being that fat guy, slob, stereotypical, like the stereotype. I didn't want to be that. So when I was around people... I was a complete phony guy eating a carrot stick or a celery stick, trying to pretend like I'm, 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 a, I'm above that, and then going home and just mowing down on cakes in the refrigerator. It was a real yeah. kind of real trip um, of how to kind of to lose those kind of coping mechanisms and shed that kind of shield that you've had your whole life and let that guard down. Yeah, it takes time. It takes time, but now, I mean... Now, does it feel like your normal life? Um, I don't think anything about me is normal. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a lot better about, you know, I've had some health issues uh, in, in the past uh, year or so, and I've gotten some diagnosis and some things that have come my way that have been kind of a kick in the pants. Um, but I kind of, like, I refuse to put a label on it and kind of, like, label me as I've got this issue. Instead, I kind mm-hmm. of take things, like, a day at a time. Like, I think it's kind of weird to kind of set yourself up in this kind of mentality that I'm this guy. Like, tomorrow, today I'm this guy. Tomorrow I'm going to deal with a different set of problems that I did with today. And I think it's mm-hmm. more comfortable for me now to kind of go with the flow instead of, you know, carving out such an ideal version of myself that I kind of portray to people. Yeah. Uh, well, we great, great conversation. We got some questions that you were gonna throw up there. Yeah, we we've had some response um, to the um, to the topic, so I'm just gonna really take them in the order they they have come in. Um, I'll try to. Some of these are long, but let me see. Any. 
I think there's a woman who's writing in about just weight loss. And she's, you know, right now she's at a high weight in the 300-pound range. And she's tried all kinds of dieting. And at one time she had given up hope of losing weight, but she has a young daughter. And that's, you know, that's a big impetus for her to make some changes. Um, But she's just, I think she's overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed at the road ahead. Um, She doesn't have a a particular excuse per se, but I think she's just, you know, looking at the road, uh, it's, you know, just a big task. And what, what if it, you know, what if I can't do it, that type of thing. So to that, I would say, uh, definitely don't focus on the whole road because, you know, that's not how it gets solved. Nobody, nobody tackles the whole road. You know, the, the, the road gets tackled literally as cliche as it sounds one step at a time. And that's what I needed to do at, at 345 pounds. I, I couldn't look at, you know, the 180 pounds I was going to drop. I, had to look at, okay, how do I get through the first month here? You know, I, I can't be too strict. So what are a few doable changes I can make? You know, I took it very slow. Uh, a lot of people think I lost my weight really fast like Arthur. I didn't. Um, I lost it in, you know, under, like a little under two years. And I, I deliberately wanted to take it slow. That that was me. Ar- you know, Arthur's a whole different personality type. And everyone, you know, got their what works for them, but I needed to take it slow. So I would recommend if you're looking at, you know, you're at the starting line, understand there's no finish line. It's it's a journey that evolves every day of your life, even after you get the weight off Uh, and, and try to enjoy it as best you can. You know, that's very key. Uh, Enjoy, find foods to look forward to that, that are nutritious and taste good and, um, and take the take the workout slow. I I started out with 20 minutes. You know that's all I could do. Um, so take the, the the shortest workout and make your food as enjoyable as possible. Don't eat. You know don't don't use food as a crutch. At least you know try to use it less and less as a crutch. And don't look at it as a diet. So that's that's my advice to that. Is this is that the woman who is who's uh, got some, some knee problems and is having trouble getting from the, each position to position. Is that the email you were reading? No. No. Okay. That's somebody else. Okay. Well, um, I'll touch on that then. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, the, the woman with the knee issues, I believe, is a nurse, right? Yes. yes. I have the email here if you want me to read it. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. Paraphrase. Uh, she's mm-hmm. a nurse on her break. Um she recently injured her knee and find it hard to get from position to position. The knee coupled with her size is actually, uh, she's using it as kind of an excuse to just kind of stick to the easier DVDs that she's uh, had before, um, the, before she got the DDP yoga. Uh, she bought the DDPs, DVDs to produce notable, uh, noticeable results in the least time possible, but you have to do them to achieve the results. Of course, did you offer any thoughts on this? She's about where Stacy was in her before picture, uh, except she's a little bit taller. Um, I listened to all the excuses. Um, okay, I wanted to put this over real quick because there's something uh, of a phenomenon that goes on with DDP yoga. Um, 
there's this uh, sometimes a misconception, and uh, there's nobody who's a bigger fan of this program than I, and Dallas will tell you that anyone can do this, and that is completely 100% true. But sometimes people mistake that for anyone can do this, it's going to be simple. And that's not the case. You know, you will get to a point where it becomes like a, a, a extension from you. You won't have to think about what you're doing, and you'll get there. But it's, all, it's like learning any new skill and, and kind of honing your body. It's going to take a while before you get to the point where you're looking like the guys on the DVD in your positions. It's going to take work. And when I first started, I was clunky. I was awkward. I, for moving from position to position, was just it looked miserable, looked terrible. The workouts were harder than I thought because you see them on, on the DVD and people are, they look so, you know, Arthur looks like he's, he's closed so smoothly and stuff. And there's a misconception that just because anyone can do it, then it's just, it's the easy way out. I'll get these. I won't have to do any work and I'll lose a bunch of weight, which isn't the case. And my biggest success when I started this was when I first started, I did the energy workout first. It was uh, the original YRG program. It wasn't the, uh, the new DDP yoga, but it was like a version of energy. I got through about six minutes of it and I, I collapsed on, I think I had a towel on the floor at the time. And I just collapsed and went, went back on the couch and did nothing. But the next day, I got back on the mat for some reason because that was never my style. After that six minutes of brutality, I would have given up and said, I can't do that. But I went back the next time. And yeah. the next time, I got about eight minutes in. And then I went back the next day, and I got about ten minutes in. So it's one of those things, as you do it you, more, you progress and you become better and your stamina gets better. And it's, it becomes motivating because, a lot of things like this, you don't get to see the improvement. You just do it and go through it and you don't see it. Well, with DDP Yoga, you can constantly see yourself get better today and do things today that you couldn't do yesterday. And that's a huge driving force when you see that tangible improvement every single day um, right in front of your eyes. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, if, if anyone's got injuries or, or whatever, obviously don't do a move that hurts, you know, or that it's just too difficult. But there are things you can do that aren't going to compromise, you know, say a knee injury. Um, we have a, a workout called stand-up that you never go to the ground. You're always standing. Um, lean against a wall. You know, if you're, if you're too, if you don't have the core strength to, to do the one-legged moves, lean against a wall, modify do you know? Do touchdowns and diamond cutters and and you know moves that are on your feet, and you you'll be amazed at what will happen from doing those. Don't don't fall for the all or nothing. Like well, if I can't do all the workout, why bother? That's just that's a a real way to sabotage progress. Uh, it's okay to do the workout according to what your body's able to do and. If that means cutting out some moves, that's fine. You know, you will still get benefit if you do it, like Mike said. Even if it's half the workout, if you're fatigued after 10 minutes, okay, that's where you are today. But give it another shot tomorrow and see what happens. Great to remember, too, that every single one of the major DDP yoga weight loss stories, every single one of them, the first time they did the workout, kicked their ass. Yeah, in one of my videos, um, the one that Josh McAdoo made, I, there's a shot of me doing DDP yoga, and my face is like a magenta. 
it's like a purple magenta <laughs> color. It is just, I mean, and that's what I used, that's the color I used to turn when I would do, you know, the short, even the short workouts. So, you should um, be less concerned but, with filming a video and more concerned with dialing a hospital. <laughs> yeah, really. But, you know, it <laughs> that's was, not a normal color. That, <laughs> no, that's how, it, that's what happened in the beginning. And I remember in, in the very beginning, um, the first two or three times I could not do broken table. This is how your body will pay you back if you show up and do it. I think after, I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to be probably six months before I can, you know, pull one of these off. I'm not kidding. It was after, like, the third workout. My body had built up and was learning the language, and I was able to do a broken table. I mean, you know, not, maybe not like Arthur could do one, but I could do it. I could, I could actually hold the pose, you know. So if you really, you know, get in there and work, your body's going to start to get stronger and more flexible. It's just how, it, it's just the way it goes. It's a wonderful thing, but you got to actually, you know, get to the mat and do it. I, I, real quick, I kind of liken it to when someone learns to play guitar for the first time, their fingers don't work. In that they don't work like that. You can't. You don't have fingers naturally that can play a guitar, but as you start to train those fingers, they kind of work more fluidly. And I've I got to the point where I was I considered myself a pretty graceful guy when I was doing my GDP yoga, and it does not start like that. I mean, if I filmed myself on the first couple of weeks, you slap some Benny Hill music behind that, and we've got a mm-hmm. comedy we can put in theaters. I mean, I was so uncoordinated, ungraceful, just, I mean, I could have drawn an audience to my performing DDP yoga, but that's the thing. Like, once you're you're using muscles and you're using Mm -hmm. uh, stabilizers that your body has never even functioned, they've never even used those kind of muscles or stabilizers. So as you start to work those out some more, you realize that you can get in between positions more and you can sweep that leg through and you can do the broken table it's all about training your body to do something that it does, doesn't do on the normal. Mhm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have another one from uh, Karen. This is not really a question. It's a tip. And it actually, this is something we say all the time. Karen from Vancouver uh, had had lots of experience with excuses and buying exercise DVDs that gathered dust. Um, she said she learned from watching a, a like a, a binge watching fest of Tony Robbins on YouTube that he basically said the the people who show up and do do exercise uh, the difference is they just simply make it a non negotiable you know which is what we've been saying like you know you don't have mm-hmm. to like it don't don't go around don't chase your your tail mentally and and Think of why you can't do it or you're too busy or whatever. Just, you know, it's it's going to get done. You You can have excuses. The key is not to listen to them and not to give them validity. And and don't yeah. wait for you know don't wait for motivation. Don't wait for your tail to be wagging and all raring to go. That doesn't always happen. You know, you just do it anyway. And then what happens yeah. after that, Robert? <laughs> Well, you you start uh, uh, seeing improvements. I mean, we talked about this so many times before 
because I'm sure you get the emails too. I get emails every day going, well, how do, I can't get myself motivated. I need someone to call me and motivate me because I can't. It's you know, fuck motivation. You don't. You, you just do it. Mhm. Yeah. Sometimes. Motivation. You can't wait for it, it you're, or you're going to be waiting a long time. Sometimes thinking can be your worst enemy too. Like sometimes, yeah, especially in your case, just works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mike is start, an autopilot. He, he, he's an expert. I guess start thinking for it to become an issue, but uh, sometimes yes. autopilot just is the way things get done. Sometimes that routine, that thoughtless routine where you just do this, then do that, do this, and get yourself into a, a rhythm kind of can be the, the biggest thing in your life. And obviously with me, because I'm very rhythm-oriented in my life, and as soon as that rhythm gets broken, usually there's a chain of dominoes that collapse behind it. Um, ask Katie once she's asked me to run a couple errands, and then I come back and tell her that none of the errands got done, but I got an ice cream. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it, it's one of those things that I'm very kind of like, once I start questioning myself and, and thinking to myself and asking myself, does this make sense? Or, like, that just kind of throws me. And when you're getting up and before you even have it, like if you're doing your workouts in the morning, which I've never been able to do. So if you're able to do that, the more power to you. I can't physically do it. I've, I'm a night workout guy, and that's how I do things. But um, if you can get up and do those first thing in the morning, just get up, walk out of bed, throw the mat on the ground, start the play button. Yeah. And by the time the, the DVD is rolling, you don't have a chance to convince yourself otherwise. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, then- I work out. I've got a specific workout, like a t- I don't have like a, a time, but I have a section of the day that I know that I'm going to be working out, and it's always on yeah. my mind if I'm not doing it. So it's like, it's you know, it's like Dallas uh, used to say, or he still does say, you know, make it a habit. Once it becomes a habit, once you do it habitually, you you don't have to look for motivation. You it's just part of your routine. Yeah, and your body's going to start to want it, and so is your mind, because it is such a great outlet. It's a constructive mm-hmm. outlet. And once you get used to that and, and all the benefits and the empowerment and the flexibility, your, your body's going to just, you, you won't have to talk yourself into it as hard, you know, at least on some days, because it's going to be something that you really look forward to. I mean, at least, you know, you look forward to the end result. When it's over, man, isn't that the best feeling? Oh, yeah. I mean, you feel accomplished, you feel energized, and you can just cross it off your list, you know? You've done it. It's it's so weird because people will put over, like, the benefits of working out. You feel so good, and you feel like it's like a drug, and you feel amazing, and the endorphins... You know, that's what you do and replace this kind of joy or that kind of, like, food or whatever. I used to hear people say that, and I'd be like, that's such bullshit. They're just they're just listening to themselves talk. You know how you listen to people and they tell you something, and you're like, you kind of indulge them, oh, yeah, but you really, like, that doesn't work. And, like, once you actually realize mm-hmm. it and you actually get there on the mat and feel how amazing you feel afterwards, it's one of those things you can't describe to someone because if you tell somebody that, like, after I get off the mat, I get, like, a body buzz, like I'm on some kind of, like, glorious, like, uh, you know, drug or something. It, it is. It's like a high. You get, like, a buzz off of uh, the end of your workout that lasts for several hours. You explain that to mm-hmm. someone, they'll probably think you're crazy. But when you actually experience and you understand it, it's a, it's a positive drug. And it's a drug and it's an addiction that, that can fuel positive things in your life. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that when you are doing it for long periods of time and then stop doing it 
you you notice a, a very real difference in your mood and your personality and basically how good you feel in the hole. Absolutely. Oh, totally. It, it changes your whole day. Um, I've got one more, and this, this actually <clears throat> dovetails into one of the, another really common excuse or reason to stay discouraged. And this is a, a, a letter from Adam in Australia. He met DDP recently when he was down there on, on his tour. Um, and a lot of people, and I've experienced this myself, uh, many times uh, that phenomenon known as falling off the wagon, you know, and backsliding. So Adam had a really good year uh, when he started in 2013, and he was consistent with workouts and clean eating. And then, you know, life kind of intervened with circumstances, and he found himself, you know, listening, he said, to the excuses of, you know, not not exercising, not doing the workouts, and just kind of slacking off. And eventually two years went by and, you know, the progress got undone. And yet when DDP was coming to his neighborhood, he still wanted to meet him. So, of course, as is often the case, meeting DDP in person re-energized him. You know, he's he's got this new resolve now and um, he's been, you know, on it. He's been back and consistent and he's... Um, been doing it on a regular basis so he's on day 46 and he's I don't know what this translates to in pounds but he's down six kilograms and his his fasting blood sugar is down 30 percent and he said no more excuses he's just gonna you know continue to do it so uh you're not really human if you've never fallen off the wagon you know that's just you know it's part of learning in life and it, that, that don't put that as a reason to not start again, you know, to not get back on the horse because your health is worth it. Your health, don't, don't, don't settle for a, a life that's less energetic, you know, less passionate, less healthy than, than you can have, you know, but it's up to you. That's, that's, that's awesome. I love to hear that. And it's so, it's, it's such a great story. And I got to put this out there. There's a lot of people in DDP yoga that I've seen over the five years that I've been here, and a lot of them have been really active members in the community and have really been, like myself included, um, and then will kind of disappear slowly and kind of drift away because they know they've struggled. And the fact that they've been so vocal and active and such a proud member of the community and people look up to them as kind of like a, a cornerstone of the DDP yoga community <clears throat> Sometimes when they struggle, they find it kind of hard as if they're coming back with their hair, tail tucked between their legs to kind of face mm-hmm. the community once they've struggled and have fallen off a bit. And therefore, when you don't face the community and you disappear and you don't reach out for help, that becomes just a slippery slope, just a kind of, you know, a place where you don't want to be. Um, I feel some people feel they owe the community perfection um, at times and, when they don't uh, aren't doing so hot, they, they find it hard to face us. And I've been so proud of certain people that have just been able to re-enter and just say, hey, guys, listen, I screwed up. I kind of fell off for things. I was embarrassed to kind of tell everyone, but I'm here, and I can appreciate the support as I kind of pick up my world a little bit. I think that is so huge and so hard to do, more hard than you can even <clears throat> pretend to imagine. But it's the yes. difference between actually getting back on the – 
proverbial wagon or completely just going down that downward spiral and just letting things get even worse. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, here in this community, everyone's welcome back with uh, open arms. Um, some some um, organizations, there used to be one way, way, way back in the day called TOPS. You guys have probably never heard of it. But it was like Weight Watchers. And if you if you gained weight or if you backslid, you had to wear a, a, like a, a brooch that was in the shape of a pig. You had oh to pin God. that to your chest and walk around the meeting with it. I mean, talk about shaming. Uh, oh so, but there's none of that... That's terrible. You know, absurd. I know. So, I mean, if anyone has fallen back, which we all have, uh, just understand that sometimes life kicks you in the ass and sometimes excuses, even if nothing dramatic is going on, excuses can be very seductive, you know. Uh, but just remember it's a lie. The whole, the whole, you know, siren call that, oh, it's just easier to sit on the couch. It might seem so on the surface, but when your body starts to break down and, and your lungs aren't as strong and you're huffing and puffing after half a flight of, of you know, stairs, what's really easier, you know? you got to look at the big picture. And, and the people who do kind of disappear for a little bit, uh, the community is so supportive, and that whole mentality of it's, I owe everyone this is completely in your whole head. And when you kind of re-enter and tell people what you're going through, you will be shocked to find how relatable everyone is to that situation because we've all been there. And, we, I mean, there's this kind of mentality that, that people don't struggle. And sometimes, and the DDP yoga community can be great with this, and sometimes it can, it can struggle with this a little bit. A lot of times we put over our, our positives and, and how we've done well doing this, and we just nailed this position, and we just lost this. And sometimes mm-hmm. we're a little bit kind of hard to kind of represent our negatives too, which at times yeah. when people see all that positive, sometimes they feel a little bit timid to kind of come with their negative because they're like, well, everyone's doing well. I'm kind of an anomaly. But when you break it down and start communing with, with people, some of the, the, the fallbacks and the slips and the struggles are probably the most relatable part of this community. It's something that everyone who's ever made any significant changes in their lives has faced. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in our own way, everybody's different and unique, but we all have greatness that we're sitting on, you know, and a lot of a lot of us aren't in touch with it, but you can start to get in touch with it, you know, and don't don't let it overwhelm you. I just before the show, guys, I don't know if anyone was watching VH1, but they they replayed uh, Purple Rain, the movie, and I want to recommend that movie. And Flashdance, they're both 80s movies, but they really both have this theme about, you know, the the two main characters really are are kind of aware that they've got amazing gifts to offer, but they don't quite believe in themselves, you know. And the final theme of both movies is so powerful because they're both terrified. They both have to, you know, bring it, you know. Prince goes on stage. Jennifer Beals goes and auditions for the ballet company, they're terrified. They're not sure if it's going to, you know, if they can pull it off, but they stick with it and guess you have to watch the movie, but it's a really good movie, both of them to explore those, you know, Hey, can I really do this? You know, am I, can I, can I really live my dreams? Can I uncover who I really am? 
that's really at the heart of excuses. I, I just I know that from my own experience. So um, they don't melt away overnight. There's no magic wand. But start by watching Flash Dance or Purple Rain, you know, and then go do a workout. There are some negative uh, things that come from that movie, too, though, to be honest, uh, including my ruffled shirt phase back in the, <laughs> the mid-90s. Mid I kind of went through that tired shirt phase that Prince kind of went through. Ask my mom well, I, pictures about that. <laughs> yeah, but I, the Flash Dance, man, would be off the shoulder. Oh, my God, I, I lived in those sweatshirts. You think it's a punchline. I seriously used to wear one of those ruffled pirate shirts. My mom would call me the, the pirate. I love I love that. Oh, let's bring that back. Oh, boy. Let's do <laughs> no, it. Nobody ever needs to bring that back. On that note, <laughs> uh, what a way to end the show. And I've just given Robert a whole ammunition verse worth of material. Because him and Josh McAdoo go on and do these little, these little uh, Photoshop-like parodies of me. And uh, just put me in the most ridiculous situations, yeah. and they've had way oh. too much doing that. And my lawyers are going to be in touch, by the way. Um, uh-uh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyways, that was that was that was a fun show tonight. I appreciate uh, you guys. Uh, I'd be bringing that up, Stacey. I think that Muhammad Ali quote put us on a, a great kind of well path for the show. One of the most inspiring people of all time, and I'm just glad I was listening when that quote was read. Uh, it's a great one. Yeah, he he was such an eloquent speaker and just had that gift of you know that 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 vibe that that kind of whole this flow. He was a poet. He really was. He was he was a poet and uh, the greatest athlete pretty much of the past hundred years by far. So oh, yeah. rest in yep. peace to the greatest, the champ, Muhammad Ali. And uh, I got to go put on my purple ruffled bathrobe and. Uh, hit the sheet. So <laughs> take care you guys. Uh, for Stacey Morris, for uh, the one and only Robert McLaren, who I'm sure is on Photoshop right now, putting me on a ruffled uh, print head. Anyway, thank you guys so that. much. Take care. See you, Robert. Have a great care, week, guys. everyone. Until next time. Texted today, man. That was a great workout, man. The power bomb set up by Page. Oh, oh, diamond Cutter. I don't believe it. Diamond oh. Cutter out of the power bomb. We're going home. You've been listening to DDP Radio. Tune in again next week for another edition of DDP Radio with more great guests, inspiration, and news from Diamond Dallas Page and Team DDP Yoga. Keep up all the great work and, most importantly, own your life. This is- Talk Radio.